From KLCC Media, this is the Oregon Grapevine. I'm Barbara Dellenbach. The Oregon Grapevine highlights fresh-pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live. Jerry Rust has worn many hats, author, environmentalist, politician, teacher, leader, thinker. Thank you, Jerry, for being here on the Oregon Grapevine. Total pleasure. Let's start at the beginning. You're an Oregonian. Start from that, and let's let's move forward. Well, I uh, was a war baby, and my folks were from eastern Oregon. I was born in Prairie City. After the war, we came to Roseburg. My dad was a builder. We got a farm out uh, side of Roseburg, and I went to Glide High School and eventually ended up at the University of Oregon in Eugene. I've been around here ever since. A fixture. Among other things, this year is, and I'm sure there's a story between college and hodads, and you're welcome to fill that in, but this is the 50th anniversary of the hodads. Some people know what that is, some people don't. So would you explain hodads, what they are, what they were, and how that came about? Yeah, you know, there was a lot of uh, old growth clear-cutting in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and uh, there was a lot of need for tree planting, and I uh, was a tree planter for a company and then quickly realized that I could form a cooperative and we could earn a lot more by sharing the uh, proceeds. Uh, I joined up with some really good people like Hal Hartzell, Rick Herson, uh, Ed Wemple. And I have to just say there's a real sad note to interject here. Ed Wimple's son, Noah Wimple, was another giant out there in the tree planting world. He died suddenly. It's really sad. He was only 53. So anyway, I wanted to share that thought too. Uh, The Hodads had a huge impact on the Northwest tree planting and other uh, forest jobs. Yeah, this is the 50th anniversary and we're going to have quite a few functions in September. Uh, If anybody wants to see a whole bunch of hodads come down to Max at the Vet Club, uh, I think it's the 9th of September. When you were I'll make you an honorary hodad. So come on down. Okay, great. (laughs) How did the hodads work? Did you go camp out on plots out and you know how how did what was the actual or did you just go out on day trips yeah what it was a, it was a genius move that we just stumbled into we um ed wimple put a uh, an advertisement in the auger newspaper which was the alternative newspaper here in eugene back in the 60s and we got a bunch of people out to my place and trained them how to plant trees and here was the catch you can join Hodads, but you have to have a crew. So we don't want just one person. We want at least 12. So out of that movement and these crews formed, they had all kinds of vehicles of all kinds and would go out into the forest and uh, we'd win these contracts and then go out there and live in the forest maybe for a week at a time and plant. 
and come home. It, it was one of the most exhilarating uh, occupations I've ever had. It was very physical, but it was also just so beautiful to work with people and, and, and watch these people, some of whom had never worked a day in their life at physical labor, take to it, learn it, and thrive on it. And uh, you know, we had an all-women crew, too. I think it should be noted. Hodads were ahead of their time. Full Moon Rising was a tremendous tree-planting outfit, one of our crews. I think we had a dozen different crews. We raked in millions of dollars for the Eugene economy. We loaned it out to everything from the country fair to, uh, gosh, I... Name a whole bunch of countercultural activities and groups of the 70s, and you'd find some hodad money trickled in there somewhere. So uh, it, it was great, and I have many good feelings about the time I spent with the hodads. And of course, I have to thank the hodads. I would have never been Lane County Commissioner if I didn't have that force behind me. So when it came time to run for office in 1976, the Hodads were in the trenches for me, and I thank them forever. Let's go there. Why did you run for county commissioner? How did that come about? Well, you know, uh, it, it, it were the, the forest issues and land use issues. I was a, a farm kid. I hated to see the, uh, the state of Oregon get cut up into small pieces. Uh, and so I ran for office on a pro-Senate Bill 100 uh, platform, and I was elected. Uh, actually, it was a three-way race. I came out of that with 38% and took the seat. You can't do that anymore because the, we have now gone to a nonpartisan. Back in those days, there were only three commissioners I'm really dating myself, you know. That's okay, Jerry. There were only three commissioners, <laughs> and uh, you had to be either a Republican or a Democrat. I happened to have been an independent at that time, and I, that was because of the Vietnam War. I got out of the Democratic Party, I guess temporarily, because I've come back. But I was able to get enough signatures to get on the ballot as a third party, and I cracked the... Uh, formula and got on the Lane County Board of Commissioners where I served for 20 years. Any particular memories of that time you want to share here, either issues that you felt were resolved or discussed in a good or a bad way? Or well, gosh, you know, thank you. Uh, and that just opens the floodgates, and I'd be really brief, but let me say that that land use issue was totally contentious. We planned and zoned every acre in the county and that was hard. Uh, people were afraid that they were losing property rights, and rightfully so. Some people were marginalized out of the dreams that they had. But uh, overall, it was a uh, it was a good good effort. I <laughs> I realized early on that we had uh, twenty covered twenty five covered bridges out of the state's fifty. And they weren't getting very well taken care of. Uh, I made that a mission to rescue a few of them, save a few of them. I remember the uh, Good Pastor Covered Bridge, the beauty up there on the McKenzie. Uh, 
staff came in and said, this bridge is weak, we have to do something about it and either replace it or build another cement bridge across the river right there next to it. And we pushed them for an alternative and what what they came up with, if you spend a million dollars, you can improve that wooden structure so it's it's uh, uh, it can c handle traffic like loads of logs and rocks. It's a working bridge. Anyway, we won on a three to two vote. I remember losing another one, the Meadows Covered Bridge over at Florence on the North Fork was just this beautiful, idyllic, uh, green pastures on both sides, forest, and this white covered bridge. Well, apparently uh, some kids had been parking in that bridge at night. The farmer didn't like it, told Archie, and Bob, uh, the, co the politics were complicated. Anyway, three to t two to one vote, they tore down that beautiful bridge. They also lied, the staff lied. I won't mention any names, but they said it was rotten. I went out there with a hammer, chopped all through the underside of that bridge. Not one speck of rot did I find. So anyway, that, that sorry about the rant, <laughs> but that, <laughs> that, that loss propelled me into saving the rest of them and, of them, and, and for the most part, very successfully. We, uh, we now have 20 covered bridges. They're the pride of uh, Lane County. I will say they could use a bit more paint and a few more uh, amenities. The, I'll be back with more on that later. <laughs> I look forward to it. Something that has been a theme and, and connected you in your life is China and the Chinese language. Could you talk a little about how, that, the, how that's become an important part of your life? Why, thank you. I, uh, in 1964, I found myself in India. And it was a summer. There was a billboard, a giant billboard, an Indian woman in a, with a sari was holding out her hands full of gold and jewels. And behind her was this dragon coming over the mountains. And the sign said in Hindi and English, give your gold and jewels to fight the Chinese dragon. That was just when the border war had happened between China and India, so it was a hot issue in in India. But I saw that sign and I said, wow, this is this is a big deal. And I came back and began my study of the Chinese language at the University of Oregon. I've kept it up ever since. And <clears throat> I do a little bit of uh, sharing uh, in Florence. It gets a little tedious in the wintertime. People need to do things over there. We're not exactly the cultural center that Eugene is. So we have a, a weekly meeting on uh, Chinese culture, and we meet in a restaurant over there. The, if anyone wants uh, more information about that, uh, I'm at jerryrust888 at gmail.com. I feel that, I suppose, after global warming, how the United States and China relate with each other over these next 10 years 
probably the most significant thing that we will deal with. And I, for one, am here to say, we're not going to go to war with China. We need to cooperate between the United States and China. That dragon that's coming over the hill is actually a good metaphor for global warming, and it's going to get us all. And only by working together with countries like China, United States, eventually Russia, uh, we've all got to pull together to win this thing. I mean, just look around at what's going on with the uh, uh, the weather patterns that are changing and the heat that is rising. It's it's actually more alarming than anything I've seen in my life. And we're in a I'm in the one of the coolest zones uh, of the United States. I mean, you know, the the coast of Oregon is still a pretty moderate place to be and uh and yet i can i can see we're in we're in some trouble anyway i want to work with china we've got some uh we've got some plans coming out of florence and again uh, i'd welcome anyone else that wants to join me on that it's easy i think for someone in your place in life in terms of age and in terms of just the things that you have done to just sit back and go, I've done my part. But that isn't how you operate, <laughs> for instance. I mean, a lot of ways. I, well, if nothing else, I've got so much stuff scattered all over the landscape that I've, in a period where I've got to just kind of pick it up, put it in its right place, polish this off, finish up this file. But actually, <laughs> the stuff is still coming down and... Uh, you know, yeah, I'm active. Well, you recently ran for office. I know it was a failed bid, but I'd love to hear a little bit about what caused you to decide, okay, I'm going to I'm going to run for the legislature. Well, to be quite honest, uh the Democrats failed to put anyone up for to to nominate. And so uh when I was asked by party officials in Westland County, would you consider uh taking this on uh I knew it was a long shot, but I was happy to fly the flag. Uh, it's uh, it's a pretty conservative district over there on the west side. Um, and as you go south into Coos County, Curry County, uh, it's uh, South Eugene. Let's just say South Eugene did not prepare me for that. <laughs> but uh, that being said... There's a lot of good things happening. If you go down to Coos Bay, I think you'd just be amazed to see how much fight there is in those people and how they're trying to overcome uh, an economy that's less than perfect. Uh, some of the poorest uh, neighborhoods in our state, there are housing issues, uh, health issues, hospital issues. So, you know, all of those things compelled me to get into it and try one last time. Uh, I had a good experience. In your observation of just the body politic and clearly the 
the the narrative is that everything is is pretty the republicans think this way the democrats think think this way we're not going to talk to each other there's these issues we're never going to collaborate we're not we're not going to go there do you are you optimistic that it is changing do you see it as kind of a black and white thing that way or do you think there is some movement to have other people talk to the other it's pretty hard isn't it um you know some people are afraid of you 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 wonder about the all the sexual issues that that get displayed in politics and, and the fear-mongering that goes on. Uh, I find that very difficult. Uh, racism, sexism are still driving the program in a lot of these uh, political circles. And I, you know, I'd like to be more optimistic, but I really do think that we're going to have to wait out a generational thing to get there. It's not going to be easy. Uh, there'll be some sides will win, some sides will lose. I can't be real optimistic right now, but I, I, it's no reason to give up. I mean, we're, we're in the middle of uh, another monumental political season with the presidential elections and, and the like. Get in there. Be active. Uh, I, in the end, I, I know that the majority of people in this country, in this state, in this county, are good people. And there are ways to get together. I, I have to say, if you go out and smile at people, you're going to, 90% of the time, you're going to get a smile back. If you, <laughs> if you're not, if you're on edge or cantankerous or ego-driven, yeah, you'll be treated unkindly. But I think there's hope, of course, lots of hope, and I encourage people to stick with it. Don't, don't give up, guys. Speaking of covered bridges, I'd like you to plug for a minute. I know you've written a book. I don't know if you've written more than one book, but I know you've recently written, relatively recently written, a book that's a that's a murder mystery about covered bridges. Is it part of a series? What what is what what inspired you? <laughs> I was invited to make some recommendations on how to uh, uh, get a covered bridge festival going, and I said, "Why don't we have a novel contest?" and offer $500 to the winner of a uh, of the novel it has to be about covered bridges so we could get a genre of covered bridge books going out of Cottage Grove and uh, up to McKinsey and anyway uh, long story short they didn't take my idea and so <laughs> I said screw it <laughs> and I wrote one myself and uh, you know, what I had going there was Opal Whiteley. I hope everyone knows about Opal Whiteley, the brilliant author from Cottage Grove and logging camps in Oregon who was a big mystery in her own right. She, I had her. I had the gold of Bohemia. I had covered bridges, and so I took those three ingredients and I just started 
grinding away until this novel popped out. Uh, I've still got some. Uh, it's a limited edition, and it won't be printed again for various technical and legal reasons. But um, again, I'm at uh, Jerry Rust. <laughs> 888 at gmail.com and I'll send you one. They're 20 bucks. I'll send you one for that. And you don't have novel number two percolating around in there? Oh, I, uh, I got stuff. Yeah, but no, I don't. Is there a topic you want to bring up here, Jerry? Something that you're, that's on top of mind for you or something that we should, that we should talk about before we go? Well, how about the yew tree? Go for it. The yew tree it is. You know, back in the 80s when they discovered that the yew tree was a source of Taxol, which was a novel drug that could stop certain kinds of cancer, uh, the pharmaceutical companies and the BLM and the Forest Service got involved and just took down thousands of yew trees in the Northwest, mostly the old ones, the big ones, beautiful, big old yew trees. They grow very slowly, by the way. And um, I got involved and started a uh, nonprofit called the Native Yew Conservation Council. Eventually, that um, drew the interest of Chinese uh, company, and we were invited to go to China to, and that I got way into the deep Himalayas uh, to see the Chinese yew trees, memorable. Uh, but anyway, that launched me on another round of, of China. And <laughs> I went back there, I taught English there for many years, and I met someone who I married who unfortunately her name was Star Yutai. She died two years ago of cancer. And uh, I'd say one last thing about the yew tree. Uh, there is a plan to reforest the Deadwood watershed down in West Lane County. And I got them to put a recommendation for 50 yew trees per acre in the riparian zone. And I'm waiting for that uh, to mature. I think COVID stopped the progress on that, so they haven't really raised any new yew trees. But I'm, that's another issue we've got to keep working on. Thank you for all the insights and all the work you've done and just being who you are, it's the county and the place is better for it. So thank you, Jerry Rust, for being here. Oh, Barb, thanks, and thanks for all the years that you've been putting it out there with KLCC Radio. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to KLCC Media's The Oregon Grapevine, fresh pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live.